just thought of kings Better than running rings That's why we're here to sing Football Sunday in the snow When the breeze whistle blows Weekend warriors toe to toe Football 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 Yes, yes, people. Welcome to another North London 40. Woo! My name is James Hamlin. My name is Inia Benigo. This is part two of our podcast this week. Monday we dropped part one. We had Joe Cohen and Super Bowl winner Rocky Boyman on the show talking about the big game and talking about the 2012-2013 season in retrospect. Mm-hmm. That was great. Now we're here for part two. We couldn't cram it all into one part, so we've come back for another part two. Second. And we have a couple of guests. Yes. One of our favourite ever NFL broadcasters. Well, sports broadcasters full stop, actually. Yep. He of five Super Bowls with the BBC. TMS. TMS, of course. Official stadium status if you've been Ooh. in that TMS box, in my opinion. And, you know, we don't stop. Now on NBC coverage of MLS... Potentially the EPL as well. Real legend in the game. Arlo White will be joining us later also. Jamie Cutridge from UK NFL, one of our favourite guests from the season, will be coming on and talking prop bets. Mm-hmm. Prop bets are hilarious fun <laughs> when it comes to the Super Bowl and a great way to waste your money. Obviously, only bet, very small bets. Don't uh, Nothing you can't afford, but great way to waste your money slash lose your money. A lot of fun. And we're going to talk in some of the crazy prop bets you can do and also talking about the NFL season with Jamie as well. Really quick housekeeping. At NLDN40 on the Twitter, northlondon40.gmail.com. Hit us on the email, mixcloud.com forward slash northlondon40. This week, more than ever, please get in touch with us. This is going to be one of the last times we're really going to be able to collectively all tweet about the NFL for for quite a long while. So really, let's make make a go of it. Absolutely. Any questions you may have, any stuff you want to raise ahead of the Super Bowl, but do not miss it. This Sunday, Sky Sports, BBC, BBC Radio 5 Live, The Dark Arts, it's all available to you. So, guest time. Really excited to have this guy on the podcast, one of our favourite ever broadcasters of the NFL. Top in- 10? Top 5? Top 10. I'm a lot of broadcasters, <laughs> alright? I like can't, them. Can't name Ted. Uh, but, um, so anyway, but yeah, um, one of our favourite ever NFL broadcasters in this country. He's flown the coop. He's gone stateside. He's now one of the top cheeses presenting MLS on NBC in the, in the, in the US. They've got the Premier League deal next season. Maybe he'll be fronting that as well. We'll ask him about that as well. But he's gone over and he, he's done that. Veteran of five Super Bowls for the BBC and a couple of Super Bashes as well. Welcome on to North London 40, Arlo White. Arlo, how's it going? Yeah, very good, chap. So I'm in the top ten all-time British NFL broadcasters. <laughs> that's that's incredible. That's that's a career highlight. You've made it. It was... Um, Martin Johnson. Yeah, you've beaten one of the vicious boys, just not both of them. <laughs> yeah. Not both of them, right. They, yeah. were, they were nine and eleven. <laughs> Now, we actually found out the other day, one of them produced uh, the latest Mark Wright Does LA series. That's a whole other story. So, Arlo, you're out stateside doing soccer stuff for NBC, but you cut your teeth here in the UK doing all sorts of broadcast stuff, but NFL fans will know you for your NFL stuff. Can you just take a step back and maybe just fill people in, in case they don't know if they're new to the sport, maybe how someone at the BBC approached you and said, right, we want you to do some NFL stuff, and you got involved. Well, I've got to say, it, it was it was absolutely incredible. It was like a busman's holiday. It was indulging in in a secret passion, if you like. You know this. You know, you know what it's like being an NFL fan. It's probably out in the open more in the UK than it's ever been. But since the the initial burst in the 80s and early 90s, it disappeared for a while, didn't it? Underneath the, the behemoth that was the Premier League after that came on on board and the stadiums were being built and the TV deals and the glitz and the glamour of our own form of, of football. And the NFL disappeared a bit and beha- became more cultish as each year went by. My story goes all the way back to the 80s. I mean, I'm, I'm 40 this year. So I was the, the kid 
was had a ghetto blaster listening to the armed forces radio and television service a very very um poor signal that came and went from germany and you had the cincinnati bengals with hank stram on the commentary you know with a fourth and goal down by six from the two yard two yard line with two seconds to go and then as soon as the snap was taken the handoff and then suddenly you had 10 minutes of Belgian folk music. <laughs> and, you, and you had to look at Teletext five days later or the copy of First Down on a Thursday to find out what the score was of that game you just spent four hours listening to. So I've seen it sort of morph from that all the way through to Sky Sports, to BBC showing the Super Bowl in HD, Five Live doing the commentaries, um, and doing live shows every Sunday. I mean, I was there, I was anchoring the first... Uh, season of of the NFL on Five Live Sports Extra, so I've seen it go from the you know tiny acorns to these wonderful oak trees now that that NFL fans in the UK can can get their NFL in so many different ways now, and it must be a great time to follow the sports in the, in the UK. It really, really is, and I think that you know you've never had it so good is a, is a term that kind of that kind of springs to mind, and it's brilliant. We've never had. A access to more content. It's brilliant. And, you know, I'm a child of the 80s myself, Arlo. I've got a few, couple of years on you, fortunately. But I've had similar experiences. But I think that, look, we've now got more access to content than we've ever had, which is brilliant. But the sport still, and this is one of the main reasons that, we still, that we've decided to do this podcast, that we decided to outreach, the sport is still perceived as quite confusing quite nerdy high barrier to entry lots of adverts lots of things like that what do you think the sport needs to actually now take this momentum and the momentum is building we've got two games next season almost sold out all this access to this content you don't have to listen to belgian folk music and even worse (laughs) pump it out on a ghetto blaster to your neighbors as well what do you think the sport has to do now to really take that momentum and to say look right okay how can we actually hit everybody a little bit like what we did in the mid 80s it's a similar story to, to what I'm experiencing with soccer, quote-unquote, in the United States, whereby it's growing organically, and you can't argue with, with the way that it's going. And one of the key aspects for me, in that it got David Beckham to come over and play for the LA Galaxy, that created a huge splash for soccer in the United States. And he's recently decided, you know, he's not going to play for the Galaxy anymore. He won two championships and left the league in a far stronger position and the sport in a far stronger position than it was before he arrived. With, with the NFL, and I know what Darren Fletcher will be going through this week. Darren will be calling uh, the Super Bowl for Five Live on Sunday night. I envy him. I did five of my own and then passed on the baton to, to him when I, when I came over and took this job, initially with the Seattle Sounders, who were part of the Seahawks organization, actually. Um, and I used to watch them, their training camp from my desk at the Seahawks HQ. That was a, a bit of a buzz back in, uh, back in 2010 and 2011, but have subsequently moved to, to NBC. But part of Darren's challenge this week, and he'll have a table on Radio Row, and this feeds into the point that you're making. Um, the Radio Row at Super Bowl week in New Orleans this week will be an astonishing place to be. It was such a buzz to be there in the five years that I did it. You never knew who you're going to come across and, and who you would have the, the opportunity of interviewing. You know, one year I had, I was sitting in, in the, in the seat broadcasting, I think on Five Live Sports and Mark Pugach, and the next chair over to me, someone tapped me on the shoulder said, and said, can I take this chair to speak to another radio station behind us? I said, yeah, sure you can. And then suddenly did a double take and it was Chris Rock. You know, behind him was Adam Sandler. You know, you bump into Nick Faldo. I, I asked a question once of Paul McCartney in a press conference. He did the uh, the halftime show yep. mm-hmm. uh, in the year after the wardrobe malfunction, of course, the famous wardrobe malfunction, which again feeds into your point because that's what got the NFL on the news programs, Janet Jackson's wardrobe malfunction. It might not be ideal, but it's good publicity. And I stood up in front of 500 journalists and I said to Sir Paul, hello, Sir Paul, Arlo White from the BBC here. Uh, and I said, um, you are aware of last year, you know, do, are you, are you uh, keen that there's no repeat of the wardrobe malfunction in the Super Bowl halftime show this year? And he just looked at me and he said, do what? <laughs> and at that point, all the cameras at the back of the auditorium swung round and started focusing on me. And I thought, 
hold your nerve here, pal. This is where you've got to earn your corn. Because I knew that this clip would get on Radio 1, on Radio 2, on the Today program, on Radio 4, and it would publicise the NFL and the Super Bowl. And I said, you know, repeated the question, will there be a wardrobe malfunction in this year's Super Bowl halftime show? And he just laconically leaned back, laughed to himself, I don't even have a wardrobe to malfunction. And you know <laughs> then you had the clip that was going to go beyond the sport programmes. And that's what Darren's role will be this year, to yes, talk X's and O's with former players, players, but also grab as many famous people from different walks of life, from music, from movies, to talk about other aspects of the Super Bowl and the, and the entertainment side of it, which then sort of usurped just the sporting angle of it. And to, and to me, that's how the game is brought forward. It might not be tasteful to a majority of hardcore NFL fans, but that's how people will enter the sport to start with. It has to get the interest of other people through different means. We had Darren's co-commentator, Rocky Boyman, on the podcast earlier on this week. The new ginger in the BBC <laughs> radio commentary hot seat. So I'm the second best ginger broadcaster <laughs> ever on UK <laughs> NFL coverage. Um, well, well, we don't know yet. We're going to see how Rocky gets it on the Super Bowl, I think. And then we'll, we'll, we'll get back You're to you. You're the current king. But uh, the good news is, Arlo... Oh, no, Rocky is ex-linebacker from Notre Dame, and he's going to be doing it with Darren. So maybe he's yeah. going to be using him to maybe force some of his um, friendly physical persuasion into some of these people to maybe come and come and speak to him and stir up some good fun stuff for the BBC. Talking about soccer in America, um, you're obviously out there and one of the most high-profile media celebrities, along with Piers Morgan, that present soccer <laughs> out in the U.S. And Warren Barton. Yeah. So now, in my trips to the States... Recently, I've perceived that the Premier League is a lot more premium than the NFL is over here. That a lot more of the kids like it, they understand it, not sure whether that's through FIFA or through other computer games, but fashion plays a big part of it, the European side of it, that kind of joie de vivre. It seems to have a completely different positioning to maybe the NFL has in this country. Would you agree with that, disagree with that? It's, it's possible. I mean, NBC Sports have just signed a deal worth $250 million over three years to, to broadcast the EPL in this country. And that's, that's a pretty sizable chunk of change. You know, I suppose Sky do pay the NFL for the coverage on a Sunday night, but I wouldn't imagine it's anywhere near that sort of figure. So, so the economics scream very loudly in this situation. You know, I work in, in Major League Soccer. I've done the Olympic Games for, for NBC Sports. We've done national team games as well. I think football, soccer in this country is very popular. Um, the Major League Soccer, their, one of their major, I would say, challenges is to get soccer fans in this country, of which there are many, to actually follow the domestic league. And I think that there's, there's a, a corollary here with, with the NFL in the UK. If the Jacksonville Jaguars became the London Shaguars, as the joke goes, overnight <laughs> in the next couple of years, there are guys like yourself and myself. I've followed the Chicago Bears since 1985. So have I. I would not automatically become a London Shaguars fan. You know, there are guys, and you've been following your teams for however long you've been emotionally invested in those teams. You might go to the old game because there's NFL happening in London, but would you have a passion for that team? That would be the challenge for a London NFL team. And it's similar for, the, for MLS over here. People People chose Man United, Liverpool, Leicester City, obviously, Spurs. years ago as their <laughs> English team to follow, or Barcelona, Real Madrid, AC Milan, etc. So it's, it's not very easy for them to suddenly say, well, you know, tear up all that, I'm going to be a New York Red Bulls fan. So that's the MLS's challenge over here is to get soccer fans, of which there are loads, to get into the local league. There's no denying that, that the US is a football soccer country. In a nation of 350 million, if it's the fifth most popular sport, that's still viable. Uh, and it's growing all the time. And the Champions League gets big viewerships. The, the EPL gets big viewerships. It's just converting the American soccer fan, if you like, uh, over to Major League Soccer. And that's part of the evangelical mission that I'm on. Well, I I'm glad that you're leading it. I lived in the States in the early 2000s, so I remember the days of watching the World Cup on Telemundo at four in the morning mm. in order to get my football fix. So it's great that you're leading the charge, and I think that a lot of kids that I went to school with are around about that age, and I'm a little bit younger than James. I'm, I'm 27 now. You're seeing them sort of, they've grown up watching the EPL, they've grown up playing FIFA, and for some reason, you know, they absolutely love the European game, and maybe when when I was last there, maybe they weren't sort of 
financially ready to start going to EPL games regularly, but I think they're ready to make that leap up and start becoming... Sorry, not EPL games, MLS games, sorry. Uh, that's, they're ready to make that leap up, and the Seattle Sounders, their story is incredible. The fact that every single match has been sold out is, is an incredible testament. Yeah, 43,000 they averaged last year. It's an, it, it was incredible to be in the stadium. It had a very European feel to it. And, and things are going pretty well in Seattle at the moment. The Seahawks were pretty poor when I was in the building. I remember being in the lunch queue one day in the, in the canteen and looking to the right-hand side, and there was Matt Hasselbeck, you know, piling mashed potatoes onto a plate. And it turns out that he's a huge soccer fan. So we had a, we had a good chat, and he was a bit of a hero in Seattle for many years. But, you know, with Russell Wilson now in that city, I mean, it's really buzzing with the NFL. But the Sounders, you know, maintain their foothold in the in in the in the sporting you know landscape of Seattle. Forty three thousand average crowd is not to be sniffed at. I think it'd be fifth in the Premier League if it was uh, if it was over there. It's just getting that that level of passion and and that foothold in a community to be replicated in other areas. And it is in Kansas City. They they sell out regularly, twenty odd thousand plus in a lovely new stadium. Portland, they're absolutely crazy down there. The Timbers Army, what an atmosphere they, they produce. Philadelphia, it's excellent. Toronto, very good. Although they've had a terrible team since they came into the league in 2007. Ryan Nelson is about to come over and uh, take over as head coach there. So there is interest. There are organic and very passionate young fan groups that have set up. And uh, they're basing themselves on the Central American or South American or European model of how to follow your team. It's not soccer mums anymore. It's huge TIFOs. It's, you know, the odd bit of fruity language in songs. It's swirling, you know, scarves around their heads and, and really getting into it. So it's it's interesting to see how the whole thing is is maturing in the American soccer market in Major League Soccer. And I, I, you know, I think that's why I came over. I gave, I gave up a very good gig at the BBC, and I, and I really believe in the future of Major League Soccer over here. I think it's going in the right direction. But it will never match the NFL. I mean, the NFL over here is an absolute behemoth of a sports league, and, uh, and it's wonderful to immerse yourself in it when you live here. Absolutely, and I've been to a Seattle Sounders game. I went to the game that they don't like to talk about, the friendly where they lost 8-0 to Man United. <laughs> oh, I did that, that game. game, yeah. Yeah, that was awful. Uh, that's, when it, they, that's when they put the second string on the, in the second half, knowing that Wayne Rooney was contractually obliged to come on at half-time. It was, it, was fa- it was a fascinating experience, and, and we've had some of our mates from Seattle on the podcast before, so shout to Justin and Paul and Brian, the guys I went to the game with. But it was, it was hilarious. So in the second half... Man United, as Arlo says, brought on Wayne Rooney, Park and Michael Carrick. So the Sounders were bringing on people. They didn't even have names on the back of their shirts. <laughs> they were, I was there with Sounders season ticket holders, and they were like, going, we, who are these guys? Yeah, and it went very badly lesson. wrong. They learned an important lesson that day, because I, I said to the guys in the organisation that whatever happens here tonight will be broadcast around the world, because it's Man United. So let's let's try and you know give them something positive to say about the Seattle Sounders. And at half time, the Sounders were unlucky to be one down. I thought, yeah, uh, Mike Owen scored a goal, uh, but the Sounders had lots of chances. Sixty-seven thousand sellout crowd, unbelievable atmosphere. It was a joy to be a part of. And then they changed up the squad to give everybody a game. And, it, and the problem with with Major League Soccer um, squads is from eleven down to twenty-two. The, the drop-off is precipitous. You've got college kids, you've got veterans who are used to, you know, playing at a lower standard, and they were absolutely pulverised by Rooney et al. in the second half, and it turned into a bit of an embarrassment. But but it, they continue to go from strength to strength in Seattle, in, in the Seahawks and the Sounders. It's a great sporting city, as I'm sure you uh, you experienced. Absolutely, and let's not forget the Sacramento Kings as well. Yeah. I go, I yeah, go well, back the, up there as well. The Sonics are going to be back. They and it's, it's so fascinating to hear Sonics fans talk about it, because they still mourn the loss of the Sonics to Oklahoma. Homer. But it's a dog-eat-dog world, American sports, and they'll complain about Howard Schultz and about, you know, the Starbucks guy selling them down the river and this other city coming in and taking their Sonics away from them, but they want a basketball team back. So if it means going to Sacramento and ripping the Kings away from there, then so be it. You know, they'll have the Sonics back, and they deserve to be there. They deserve a basketball team. Whether they deserve another another city's basketball team, that's open to conjecture, but it's a brilliant sporting city. Super Bowl Sunday, Arlo. How are you going to be immersing it? You're going to be checking out home. You're going to be going out to the pub. You're a, you're a kind of Brit in a, in a different culture. How's NFL Sunday going to pan out for you? I'm not quite decided yet. It's the first one I've not worked at. I'm, I did five in six years live, the play-by-play. The only one I missed was the Bears Colts, and I'm a Bears fan. And I was in Brisbane at breakfast time on an England cricket tour, so uh, I watched that one in a bar. And the, the last two I've done and had a tremendous amount of fun doing the Super Bash. 
for, for NFL Europe. And that's been a, an amazing experience with Nat Coons last year, Neil Reynolds meeting up with uh, Vernon Kay and uh, all the cheerleaders and doing that sort of thing. That was great. But you don't really get to relax and watch the game. So I'm, I'm torn between a couple of invites to go to Super Bowl parties or literally sitting in my front room with a nice big widescreen TV and just watching the game and watching the commercials for the first time in nearly 10 years. I'm, I'm sort of erring on the side of, of that, really, getting a, I don't know, a slab of Budweiser and getting some pizza in and just watching the whole broadcast and what should be a great game from start to finish. You heard it here, people. This is a guy that's been broadcast at five Super Bowls. All sorts of options this year. Wants to watch it on his couch, with his buds, with his big screen TV. It's still a brilliant way to watch the game. Arlo, you mentioned the Super Bash. You've yeah. hosted a few of them in the years. Super Bash is coming up next week. It's in Coco in Camden this year. In terms of people are still trying to get tickets and there's ways you can get tickets and try to look mm-hmm. at that. Talk about the event. It's a great one to go <laughs> to from our experience. Oh, I mean, I, I had such fun doing it. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what they've got laid on for this year, because uh, obviously I'm over here, so not part of it this year. But it was just so much fun. I mean, it was a pretty raucous crowd. <laughs> and it was, um, when you're a sports broadcaster used to doing sort of commentary, to be uh, unleashed on a stage, almost like being heckled like a stand-up comedian, was a real experience. And it had to be pretty sharp with some of the comebacks. They, they were heckling Neil Reynolds, Arlie. Yeah. They weren't heckling <laughs> you. Don't worry. <laughs> it wasn't you. <laughs> it was fun. It was just a lot of fun. So you're probably going to see some NFL stars. We had Tiki Barber, I think, last year or the year before, which was uh, tremendous fun. You're going to have the cheerleaders. There's going to be free food on offer. Uh, Bodines normally do the catering. You know, you'll, ha- you'll have your beers. You'll be royally, richly entertained for a couple of hours before the game starts. And then you're going to have the match itself on full HD on a massive screen with a great atmosphere. You have jerseys of all 32 NFL teams. You have the banter between the teams. And then obviously there's going to be a lot of fans there from the 49ers and the Ravens as well. You've got the banter between those two sets of fans. It's just, it's just a great way to immerse yourself in, in Americana and the NFL and the Super Bowl. I had a great lap doing that over the last two years. And Damakin Sue was your guest last year. That's he, right, that's was, right. Was yeah. he able to, uh, <laughs> was he able to uh, behave himself for a couple of hours? Is that did possible? He, he didn't kick you at all, did he? I came out of it bruise-free, uh, <laughs> even, even though he's from Portland. <laughs> and he looked at me, when I said I'd uh, spent time with the Seattle Sounders, he gave me a look as if he wanted to punch my lights out. But oh, no. uh, I seemed to get away with that. I've still got a picture of the, um, of the, the sheet on our green room, on our dressing room, and the, the order went like this. One, and Dominican Sue. Two, Nat Coombs. Three, Arlo White. I knew my place in the pecking order for that Super Bash. So the game, Arlo, give us a prediction. We appreciate that you've obviously been, been out watching reserve teams of MLS soccer teams around the nation. and been Preparing doing for the MLS draft. The, the, yeah, all that type of stuff. So we've been your focus. But for more of us fans' perspective, what are you looking forward to in this game? What's going to get you on your sofa and keep you engrossed for those three hours? I want a violent game of defence-driven football on Sunday. I'm, I'm a Bears fan. I know it's not going to snow in the Superdome, but <laughs> I just, you know, the, these 35-28s and 42-35s, you know, they might be good. It, to me, it's just like basketball. I want to see some defence, and I think both of these teams are capable of stepping up and doing that. So, Ray Lewis, I don't know how he does it at the age of 38. I mean, he's probably got weak 10 legs because of the, the injury that he, that he had. Um, and likewise, Terrell Suggs, and you've got Ed Reed at the back there. I just... To watch these two defences flying around smashing people is going to be absolutely fantastic. And it's down to the likes of Kaepernick and, and the offensive stars on, on both sides of, of, of these teams to, to break them down. I, I want a low-scoring, close game. I want a 16-13 or a 21-17. They, they, them, to me, are the best games and the best Super Bowls. The best Super Bowl I ever did was the Patriots against the Giants, Super Bowl 42, when the, when the Giants ruined the perfect season. I think, from memory, that was 7-3 going into the fourth quarter. That's what I want. That's the sort of football I've been brought up on, and that's what I'd like to see. As to which way it's going to go, I've got absolutely no idea. If I was forced to make a prediction, I'd say 21-17 Ravens. Arlo, it sounds like you've been watching a little bit too much MLS with your hard-fought, <laughs> defensive low scorers. No, it's interesting to hear this perspective. There's lots of people on the pod this week that have been talking about they love Colin Kaepernick and they love his options and they love all these different points. But, you know, one of the questions we've asked is, look, the more of the traditionalist view, more of these hard-fought two coaches with defences going at it. So it's great that's the sort of thing that you're going to be looking for because this game has got something for absolutely everybody. So it's brilliant. Got to ask non-NFL question. We'll talk about, not in years, but my equal 
first favourite sport, that's cricket. We obviously have the Ashes coming up in 2013, as big as the Super Bowl, probably bigger actually yeah, when you when you think about it. Beyonce's performing. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> in Durham. Yeah, <laughs> if need be. But like, so. Although you're obviously in the States, you're going to be up to your elbows in MLS stuff and all sorts of things. How are you going to make sure that you try to immerse yourself in as much of the ashes as possible? How can an American, maybe an expat that's living out there, still get that ashes experience? How are you going to do it? It's going to be tough. And, and I honestly, at this point, don't know. Because even Test Match Special, who I used to work for, is blocked over here. Um, so I've got to start getting creative and, and work out ways of, of, of digesting my cricket next year. I'm, I'm hoping that somebody somewhere has got some sort of package on offer. I mean, you're going to pay money to watch the Ashes next year. So that's going to be, that's going to be my end. Because the, the beautiful thing about the job that I do is that I'm pretty much left to my own devices. On uh, If we've got a game on Saturday, then we travel probably Sunday. Uh, so we're at home Sunday night, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, most of Thursday, I'm free to, to research the game for the following Saturday. So there's plenty of time to get into a bit of cricket this year, and obviously it happens at night anyway. So, yeah, looking forward to that. I, I don't know how I'm going to digest it, but I'm going to be following it as closely as I possibly can because, you know, it's going to be another special summer, and, and it's just so great to, to have this parity, and, and if not English dominance, over the Australians, because growing up, again, being a kid of the 80s, we were just getting pounded by the Australians for so many years and one of the highlights of my life in broadcasting aside from Super Bowl 42 was being at the Oval on the field at the end of the fifth night of the fifth test in 2005 and being 20, 30 yards away from Michael Vaughan when he lifted the little urn with a microphone in my hand, actually standing next to uh, Michael Atherton at the time, who was sort of ruefully looking at, at these celebrated Englishmen having been battered in every Ashes series that he ever took part in, he, albeit a tremendous test batsman and captain for England. So that, for me, after 18 years of woe and hurt, was an absolute joy to behold. And then seeing them go down under this past year and, and win so convincingly was was terrific so i can't wait for the summer i'm rambling about cricket because you've got me started i don't have many conversations about it over here but right. i'll find a way of watching it and i'll be following it as closely as i can absolutely no excuse needed arlo it's absolutely fine grantland.com fantastic website uh, part of the yeah. sbn this week did a brilliant feature on the england cricket team slightly late after we got pummeled in the indian one day series but that was brilliant as well we are in a different global growth trajectory to the EPL and the NFL but even still uh, we could talk about this all day and the sheer memory of 2005 has made me more emotional than somebody <laughs> if they were just winning the Super Bowl tears are running down his face as we speak yeah forget Ray Lewis forget <laughs> Ray Lewis that's it but no brilliant Arlo how can people connect with you stay in touch with what you're up to your views on the NFL I'm sure you're going to be tweeting about it talking about it throughout the game and what's happening with MLS in the States what's the best way with them being able to keep up with what you're up to well, the best way I would say is Twitter. I'm, I'm pretty active on there, talking, you know, US soccer, Premier League soccer, and, and NFL, and a bit of cricket as well. So it's just simply at Arlo White. The beauties of having a silly name. Fantastic. Yeah. Follow him on Twitter. Absolute legend across multiple sports, and wish him all the best, Arlo. Thank you ever so much. Best of luck for next season with NBC. Best of luck with finding that cricket coverage. And also best of luck finding a very comfortable sofa for Super Bowl yeah. Sunday. Hey, no problem, guys. Anytime. Enjoy the Super Bash. Cheers. Cheers. So thanks to Arlo White for coming on North London 40 and giving us and bringing cricket to the podcast. It's taken too long. <laughs> I'm, I'm cricket averse. I'm sorry. That's fine. Uh, another great guest. So, right, guest time. On North London 40. He's been on the pod before. Um, Another recurring guest. He was. He was so well received by the listenership. We received so much input that we decided to get him again. He is from UK NFL, the service that you need to follow for all of your in-game tweets about what's going on across various games across the red zone throughout the season. Excellent service. He is Jamie Cutteridge and he is in the studio of North London 40. Thanks for having me back. You're very, very welcome, sir. It is a pleasure to have you. We are on our second pod this week, and we are talking about the Super Bowl, and we are talking about the 2012-2013 season, recapping it all. 2012-2013 season in a nutshell, what did it represent for you? Well, it started off with the replacement refs, which was just crazy, and you had the Fail Mary or Golden Tate Gate, whatever you want to call it, which just got rid of the replacement refs, but that 
you know what? I might be the only person who would say this, but I really enjoyed the replacement refs. As someone who supports a Titans team whose franchise is going nowhere or nothing to play for, just kind of mixing it up, having no idea what was going to happen next, quite a lot of fun. And I wonder if that will be the defining thing that it will be remembered for. So that was a lot of fun. You kind of had Bounty Gate bubbling under the surface and that affecting the whole of the Saints season. But I hope that when we look back at this season, it will be the year of the rookie QB between Andrew Luck and him massively transforming that Colts franchise. RG3 and the tragic end of his season. And my favourite of them all, Russell Man Muscle Wilson, who was just over the last eight weeks of the regular season and through the playoffs. So much fun to watch, so exciting. A real leader of that team, which was really great. And in many ways, I kind of want to lump Colin Kaepernick in with these guys as well. Because he's had less career starts than those other three QBs, and he's about to lead his team into a Super Bowl. And those four have just completely changed the way we look at young QBs coming into the league. And actually, for three of them, in Griffin, in Wilson, um, and in Kaepernick, we've changed changed the way we look at the QB position altogether. The style of play, the way that, you know, the double threat, the pistol offense, the read option, what, however you call it, they those three have really changed the quarterback position. And I think for the better. And it's been a lot of fun watching those guys this season. It really has. And I think that to a lesser degree, of course, but in places, rookie quarterbacks, Ryan Tannehill, Brandon mm. Whedon, Nick Folds, weren't terrible. Absolutely. There was, I mean, Whedon had moments where he was awful. But I imagine if he wasn't as old as he was he'd have been given a lot more grace. If he was the same age as the other QBs, people would be looking at him and going, actually, quite a good pickup. It's got potential and is going to grow in a franchise that, you know, under new ownership that your previous guest has talked about, is going to go places. And you're right, and Tannehill has had an underratedly good season. In any other year, Tannehill's impact on Miami would possibly be one of the biggest storylines. Of all the things that have happened this season, and potentially negative things... From Bounty Gate, as you mentioned, and, and all sorts of incidents that have happened along the way, replacement refs, and I guess it's a situation in the world that we live in that so much stands out and there's media stories on top of media stories. I think Inye and myself are in agreement. The thing that stands out is a game potentially being redefined and maybe being redefined in the long term. And that is exceptionally exciting thing. I think that watching Colin Kaepernick and watching RG3 and watching Russell Wilson and, you know, and the coaches that made those decisions totally. to put those guys in, coaches that have, say, been given flack before, not Jim Harbour, he's yet to make a bad coaching decision, but the coaches that have supported those players against the tradition of the sport and we've all benefited from the drama, the headlines, the increased level of play that's come from that I think I'm in agreement in you I don't know where you're at with it you in the same boat yeah I, I definitely agree I, I, I can't really add much more to it I think you've really covered it right there I think what's interesting if you look at those four QBs you've talked about every single one of them being where they are now is a result of a really brave decision so for the Colts they chose to get rid of Manning and go with Andrew Luck straight away. There was no transition period. It was Manning out, Luck in. For the Redskins, what the Shanahans have done to that offense was a brave decision and one that has massively paid off and paid off by taking a risk on Alfred Morris and putting him into the starting lineup straight away doing it. For Pete Carroll in Seattle, they went big on Matt Flynn in free agency and then drafted this guy in the third round and went, actually, he's our guy. We like what we've seen. And, you know, the riskiest move of, the all, of them all in Jim Harborough, benching Alex Smith after he had a game where he completed 18 of 19 passes and bringing in Colin Kaepernick without a single NFL start. Now, four massively risky moves. And it's great in a, in a time where every coaching decision is poured over in tiny minutiae by Bill Barnwell every Monday to have had four coaches make... Probably the four riskiest decisions of the season and for them all to have paid off. I think so, and I think that the coaches around them to have not made those decisions. If you're a St. Louis Rams fan, for example, you're sat here now and you go, oh, we've got those extra picks, we don't have RG3. Yeah. If you're the Cleveland Browns, again, you were in the RG3 shakeup, you didn't have a chance. Lots of teams had the opportunity to draft Russell Wilson. They didn't because his intangibles didn't show up on their stats and their diagrams. Do you think this season more than ever, especially after fans have seen these decisions that these coaches have made, that they'd be more open to having a rookie QB instead of a middling quarterback that they know that can't get it done? For example, Carson Palmer at the Raiders. Well, 
it, this is the inter- most interesting thing for me because it's earlier in the week on one of the pods we joked about the wildcat offense and that was a funny thing. We got Tony Sperano to thank for that. But that was a weird thing in the fact that it, it popped up. It was popular for about five minutes. Everybody was doing it, and then everybody figured it out. And this season, 2012, 2013, there was zero wildcat offense. Right. So I think you need to take a step back and say, well, these types of decisions, these types of offensive systems and individual production, are these a flash in the pan like the wildcat, like the run and shoot, like all these types of things that have never stood the test of time? I think you have to take a step back and think about that. But I think with the individual talent and what these people have done, it's only over one season, but I think lots of people want to go into next season and hopefully see it over a more sustained period of time. What's interesting to note in the second half of the season was Cam Newton. So Cam Newton, great first you know, two-thirds of his rookie season, disappointed again to his rookie season, poor end to his second season. The second half of the season, both him and the Panthers team as a whole were really improving. Newton's numbers went up, Panthers were getting wins, and so were people wondering if it was in the flash, a flash in the pan. Newton clearly has got the talent and was beginning to show it in the second half of the season. Now, what you were saying about teams taking a risk on a rookie QB, the interesting thing about that is that we're looking at a really weak QB class where the majority of mock drafts out there already haven't got either Geno Smith or Mac Barkley. A lot of them in the top 10, but probably you're looking at Arizona to be the first team who are really going to be taking a QB, and they're as low as seven. So, I mean, maybe we're not going to see the rise of a, that the rise of the rookie QB continue next season. Look, we shall see. Great point on Cam Newton. You know, go from the start of the season, he was lighting up draft boards in fantasy football. He was the most talked about. How should we class them as young African American mobile quarterbacks? He's not even in the conversation now, right? If you want to group them as a class, and I think we should. You know, he's not even in the top four or five, right? So. It just goes to show how things can move and move quickly and maybe we shouldn't get carried away. Watching the performance of some of these players, I want to get carried away with it. I want to get carried away with it and I want to believe in it and I want to, be- I want to believe that there's going to be a role for a Peyton Manning and a Tom Brady and a Joe Flacco. There will be, but these exciting playmakers, there's going to be roles for them too but I also think people will go into this draft and they'll be getting heat from their GMs basically saying right where's this wacky risk taking move that's going to happen and it's going to take a strong decision maker to say look with these players they're not there right but if there's some diamonds that can become out of it not sure but I think look there's some terrible terrible teams out there look at Kansas City look at Jacksonville I think those organizations can maybe look at it and say, look, let's take a risk, right? Because if we stay with convention, convention is going to come. And if the top teams can take a risk and go from being great to amazing, we can take risks going from terrible to being average. And I think they'll take that. As we continue with our recap of the season, <laughs> what do you think was your favorite media story of the year? Well, the worst thing the media did this season was continue to talk about Tim Tebow. Now, I I loved Tim Tebow last season. I I couldn't get enough of him. But um, just last week, Skip Bayless on first take on ESPN was genuinely hosting a a debate, which was, could Tim Tebow have led the 49ers to the playoffs? Sorry, to the Super Bowl. Like, like this was actually happening on ESPN. That, ah, man, it was really interesting to watch the coverage on Tebow shift. It, this year, even as Sanchez was struggling, Tebow wasn't getting a look in. And yet every week on NFL Network, Michael Irvin, Deion Sanders were piping up saying, this is going to be Tebow's week. This is going to be Tebow's week. And it never happened. And I think the media, it seemed like the media were more so than any other season I can remember, behind the storylines that were going to happen. So Russell Wilson was improving and no one quite picked up on it until it was too late. They were focusing on what you know, what was going wrong in New York, what was going wrong in Philadelphia. But for me, they were never the interesting stories this season. The interesting stories were what was happening there, what was what was happening in these with this kind of rookie QBs and these teams kind of coming through. Even what was happening in Atlanta, I found more interesting than all that ASPN and NFL Network were giving you with the Jets, with the Eagles, with the Chargers, with the Saints. Like, by eight weeks into the season, you knew the way those stories were ending. What was really great is that there were teams this season where eight weeks into the season, the Redskins totally transformed the way they were doing. The Colts came from nowhere to be one win short of winning the AFC South and 
I think what was great is maybe it's part of being part of this kind of Twitter community. I found less so than ever we were relying on the main media outlets to give us our NFL stories, what was interesting, but it was just what was happening rather than, oh, look, Michael Vick's continuing to have a poor time in Philadelphia. Like, who gives a crap? There's also, in the middle of the season, we, we kind of forgot to mention it, but the, the Buccaneers were they're, they're the hot team. People yeah. are forgetting about Jeff Freeman and how good he was. First Take is an absolute joke of a program. Jason Whitlock quite rightly broke it down as ESPN's attempt to reach out to the black unemployed masses of America, hence why they get rappers on, hence why it's Skip Bayless and Stuart A. Smith just arguing over banal things. And I think it was Deadspin last year that realized that if you talk about Tebow on, on TV, the ratings improve, basically. And basically, the media bought heavily amounts of Tebow stock, so much so that when the next season came across, they couldn't, they couldn't get out of it fast enough. And I, I don't know. I don't even know if next season we even talk about him anymore. Or is he out of the league? Does he join the Arena Football League? Does he join the CFL? Seems like a very old story, doesn't it? And it feels like we've moved on. And I think... I guess you could look at it and you could say, well, and this is not to say that it's good that all this stuff was deflected at Tim Tebow and Mark Sanchez, but in a way that some of these guys were able to slip under the radar somewhat must have helped them out, right? I mean, look at Colin Kaepernick, for example. You know, this is one of the most high-profile athletes in America right now. I don't think anyone's seen him do a media appearance, right? But that's a good thing. Right, that's a really, really good thing because let's focus about what he does on the field, and that's what we should do. You, you're right. No one was talking about these people preseason. You could have gone to the average NFL viewer, and no one had heard of Russell Wilson preseason. I, I, and that's not as true with the other guys. But okay, probably with Colin Kaepernick, no one's really heard of him. So I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what happens to these big storylines next season. Is Tebow still going to be the centre of attention when he might not even have a team to be at? Are the Eagles still going to be the team that everyone's talking about when in reality that the next year is going to be a rebuilding team same for the Jets same for the Chargers with the Saints I guess it's a little bit different with uh, Sean Payton coming back but those traditionally big and exciting teams that draw the viewers in they're not the teams you want to be talking about anymore and that kind of sea change I guess so especially for UK fans who don't live in a big city in America and are more interested in what's going on in the games that's really exciting and perhaps the coverage is going to improve because of these kind of failed storylines that we've seen this season. It really is, and I think it shows you that next year is going to be different. No matter how we forecast it's going to go, it's going to be different. Players are going to get injured, and decisions are going to work out. We've got a bunch of new coaches in the NFL. Some of them are going to be great. Some of them are going to be crap. You know, you've got 32 teams in, in the league. You can't all win, right? Decisions can't all work for all of you. But I think that, as we keep, keep, keep harping on about one of the best things about this sport is the unpredictability and the variety. And if you're not a, if you're a follower of the sport, not necessarily nailing your flags to the mast of any one team, and we'll always advise that. You know, we'll always advise that. It's a great way to watch this sport. There's so much there. There's so much to get out of it. So much fun to be had. Gentlemen, I want to ask you a question. What is your play of the season? Ray Rice, 4th and 29. Not only was it spectacular because he had no right to make the first down and it was really impressive from him, but you look at the impact that that had on the two teams involved. The Chargers at that point weren't out of the AFC wildcard race. It seemed like that play and that defeat like just shattered whatever fragile confidence they had. But you look at the Ravens as well. If they don't make that fourth down, they don't win that game. And then that week 17 game against Cincinnati, if they lose, they're in the wildcard slot. And the way Cincinnati were playing, that you know, Baltimore's confidence was low. They could well have lost that game. They're in the wildcard slot. Suddenly... Their route to where they are now, their route to the Super Bowl is really different. So, okay, so it only beat a kind of average Chargers team, but that Ray Rice play, I think, might have really radically altered the way these playoffs has gone. And it was so good as well. My favourite play, and, and this sounds really horrible now that I think about it, but it raised an interesting point. Was, was it the hit on Vernon Davis? No, it was actually it was a hit. It was a hit on, on Darius Hayward Bay. In the Raiders-Steelers game, it was probably a game that probably myself and three other people in the UK were watching. But it, it Hashtag was, Raider Nation. <laughs> yeah. 
Hashtag UK Raider Nation. It was just so, it was such a, it was a helmet to helmet hit. I can't remember who hit him exactly, but he just laid out on the field and he got stretched off and it was a whole to do. And it, it just kind of, in a season that we started off talking about concussions and with this past couple of weeks when we've heard about the whole CTE stuff and the junior sale and all this thing going on, sometimes you forget that this sport can be this violent. No, my favourite play, I would say, if I could just pick one, and I think we touched on it earlier, but Colin Kaepernick on the sweep against the Green Bay Packers, start of the second half, where he went, I think, 70 yards round the end, completely untouched. That, for me, was just an astounding moment, just to watch him do what he did at the speed he di- he did it. And for me, it was like, this guy has arrived and he set an NFL record whilst doing it. And I think that amongst hundreds of amazing individual plays, as there were so many great performances individually, week in, week out, likes of RG3 and Reggie Wayne and Doug Martin really stand out from watching him at the time. But I think individual play, that was a one for me. I had fallen asleep by that play and missed it. And as I wrote for a piece on the classical in the state, I woke up to this f- uh, like foggy screen almost and couldn't quite make up the score. Score and then was like, oh holy crap, it's 45-24. My favourite underrated WTF player of the season was Justin Forsett's for, uh, 81-yard touchdown, Thanksgiving when he was down. Named Jim Schwartz. Jim Schwartz threw the flag too early, and I was watching that. I was in the same bar as you guys. It was at Thanksgiving, and everyone was watching with just like, what the heck has gone on there? No one knew this rule. And to be honest, anything that ends up with Detroit, Detroit getting screwed over is a lot of fun. And as it is, that game went to overtime and ended up costing them. But I, I enjoyed that play as well. Yeah, it was a good one. Since we're since we're just talking about the Kaepernick play in Green Bay, has this been the best playoffs in recent memory? Are we ignoring the wild card round? <laughs> oh, please. Man, the wild card round was so bad. Like, the best game you had, that Redskins-Seattle game... Felt exciting at the time, and then in hindsight, even that wasn't great because it was so overshadowed by that Griffin injury. The last two rounds of the playoffs, the divisional round, is the best weekend of NFL action I can ever remember. All four games, even that Patriots-Texans game, refused to die, and big numbers were being put up. The Patriots' offense looked superb. But the three games you had before that, Seattle-Atlanta, the ending to that was wild. Baltimore-Denver, Green Bay-San Francisco, just a superb weekend. And you know what? Both championship games were really good as well. That Atlanta 49ers game came down right to the wire. Both teams, I think, played really well. That first half from Matt Ryan is as good a quarterbacking half as I've seen anyone play this season. And again, that Baltimore-New England game, the score doesn't reflect it, but it was a close game. And even at the end, New England had chance after chance and just couldn't take it. And just watching Baltimore really grind that out. The last two weeks of the playoffs have been, yeah, up there with any playoffs I can remember. It's a shame the wild card weekend let it down. Yeah, if you want to view it as a body of work, that drags it down massively because it was so, so bad. And unless you were betting the favourites all weekend and it was just business as usual. But I think you're right. And especially that Saturday, that Saturday night. And it wasn't, for me, it wasn't just the games. It wasn't just these physical performances that you were seeing people execute on the field. It was these stories that were just unravelling in front of your eyes. The story of Colin Kaepernick and Joe Flacco and Ray Lewis. Joe Webb. Yeah, <laughs> could have been Joe Webb's. Could have been Joe Webb's uh, playoffs. Exactly, but that was the thing, and it, and it was it was a wonderful, wonderful time. And that Saturday, especially, I think that was you know, if you want to look at a block of sports entertainment amassed over that evening, it was just astounding, astounding stuff. So you head into the Super Bowl this Sunday. We're not going to break down necessarily X's and O's. We've done that with quite a few of our guests before. But let's break down some prop bets. Which ones would you recommend? My favourite prop bet for the weekend is how many QBs throw a pass. So the over-under is 2.5. Obviously you're going to get two. You're going to get Flacco and Kaepernick. So you've got this kind of hazy territory in the middle where if the 49ers are up by 14 with five minutes to go, do they put in Alex Smith to run a series, to thank him for his sterling oh. work in the first half of the series? I just don't want to see that. You know what? I, I, was, I was saying this off air a second ago. My dream scenario is Kaepernick-Flacco. They leave it level with about a quarter to go. Kaepernick gets an injury. Not a serious one. Fine for next season. And Alex Smith comes in and leads the 49ers to victory. Because for the last two years, I have been 
all over this Alex Smith bandwagon. I don't know what it is. Perhaps it's the underdog thing of constantly being written off, not being as flashy as Aaron Rodgers, constantly being compared to Aaron Rodgers. But that game he put up against the Saints in the playoffs last season was one of my favourite games I've ever seen. That sweeping run he did, followed by the pass to Davis, it was just brilliant. And his final starting game in the NFL for the 49ers is going to be a game where he completed 18 of 19 passes. And my hope for this weekend is that he gets on the field at some point and not just in the celebration at the end. Yeah, I think he's handled himself really well. Mm-hmm. Could have come out and been a hashtag locker room cancer. Uh, and and hasn't from what we've uh, from what we've seen and been been a real pain around it. But yeah, I'm slightly biased. This year in fantasy football, had Alex Smith when he was the top rated quarterback in fantasy football, started him in that game against the Giants and he was absolutely terrible. And yeah, he's he's been kind of dead to me since then. But I think look, the the question is there is would the Niners have won? With Alex Smith instead of Colin Kaepernick. Maybe, but they didn't win last year. Yeah. And I think that, like, look, very solid guy, gonna be a very solid quarterback for another team. But again, going back to what we were talking about before, solid. This Niners team is elite, mm. and a solid quarterback could win it for them. He goes and plays for Jacksonville, solid quarterback. It's gonna be no more than solid results. And is that good enough? I don't know. Don't don't get me wrong. Harbaugh definitely made the right decision, but I I just I just feel sorry for the man to be honest. Right, my other favourite type of prop bet you can get on the Super Bowl is the. Um, sorry, just going back. Two, do they actually have to be quarterbacks or people throwing a pass? I think it's just people throwing a pass. But who else is like? Are you expecting Randy Moss to throw one? I mean, you know, the the other thing you get with that bet is the chance of an injury to either quarterback and. But so my other favourite type of prop bet for the Super Bowl. A line compared to a completely different sport. So you can get Colin Kaepernick's completions plus four against Dwayne Wade's points against the Toronto Raptors on the same night. <laughs> I love these kind of bets. The, be- the best one I think to go for, if you can find it, is, and a lot of these are taken from Bill Barnwell's column on Grantland, but Steve Nass's assists against the Pistons on the Sunday plus 3.5 against the distance of the first touchdown of the Super Bowl. And what's... So what's the line for Steve Nash's assists that night? Well, I mean, they haven't got an individual line for it, but it's plus 3.5 um, over the distance of the first touchdown. So you're thinking Nash is going to throw, what, 10 assists a night? Right, okay. So, you, so you're betting there that the longest touchdown to win, you need to be 14 yards. Now you've got Crabtree, you've got Moss, you've got Tor- you saw what Julio Jones did deep to that 49ers secondary, and you've got Torrey Smith playing in this game. Like if you can find that, I'm all over. I'm all over taking the um, distance of the first touchdown minus 3.5 in that. Okay, I love that. That's my sneak. That's my sneaky prediction for the weekend. So you're going for that, and you're going for plus 2.5 quarterbacks. Plus 2.5 quarterbacks, and you can get odds on whether Beyonce's hair will be straight or uh, curly at the beginning of the halftime show. Surely it'll be slightly in between the two. Well, like it's straight way. So straight is minus 140. You can get evens on curly and crimped. I think you've got to go curly at Crimped, right? It's the Super Bowl, it's a black woman, it's straight hair. I'll put your house on it. Well, there you go. You can bet on what colour the Gatorade tipped over the uh, the winning head coach will be. Ah, yeah, I got this wrong last year. No, because you can go for, yeah, or you can go for water. You can go for clear water, which is yeah. the favourite. Yeah. Um, I like red plus that 750 because it'll uh, tie in with the 49ers uniforms. Yeah, it's a really tough one because sometimes they don't do the Gatorade bath. Or sometimes they don't capture it on camera. Or sometimes they yeah. miss. It's not like it used to be. If you're betting on this one, I think you've got a gambling problem. I think that's that's the reality of it, isn't it? I would advise potentially doing some gambling in the lead-up. Because once the game actually starts... Oh, yeah, you don't want to be... The game's great. But in the lead-up, length of National Anthem... Yeah. What the person... Don't know who's doing the National Anthem. So yeah. Elisa Keys. The over-under is 2 minutes 15 seconds. Right, okay. So there'll also be prop bets. I don't think she does run, so I think I'd go with the under on that. So you can also do prop bets probably around what she's wearing, all sorts of other stuff she does. You you can bet on whether the uh, coin flip comes up heads and tails. Who's betting on that? Are you serious? Did you win? My favourite money I made last year is on who would receive the first kickoff. 
Patriots were playing. Patriots always defer, right? The bookies over here hadn't taken that into account, so it was a 50-50 bet. The Giants were always going to receive if they get it. The Patriots were always going to defer. Easiest money I won all season, that. That was great. So why aren't you giving us predictions like that? You're giving okay, us I, two, over two quarterbacks. I'm not, Come I'm give not, us something. I'm not, well, that one, like, both teams receive from what I can work it out. Here's the line which appears lowest to me, right? The over-under on how many times during the game it will be referred to as the Harbour Bowl, the Har Bowl, or the Super Bar. That's only at 2.5. Now, surely it's going to be way higher than that during the coverage. Whoa, whoa. Uh, For each of those individually or combined? Combined is only at 2.5. Surely you take that the over there, right? all day. Unless they suddenly start calling it Bro Bowl, but they're not going to oh, do that. The Super they Bowl? Dis- they want to suit, distance themselves from anything that sounds like Pro Bowl. Is that that's in the broadcast by the commentary team or the it's, colour team? It, it seems a bit vague. This I think it's the commentary team. Are you not enjoying this one? It's not that I'm not enjoying it. It's just that it's going to be beaten to death. But Super Bowl coverage in the states, a friend of mine's dad actually did the pre pre game. It's basically six hours. So you're going to be hearing the hardball for six hours beforehand. I don't know how many times the commentators themselves want to continue to use the same. You know, meme or trend or whatever. That's that's not a bad shout. That's some that's some good inside knowledge. Okay, last one. How long will the first field goal of the game be? The over under is thirty three and a half yards. Now, the thing to take into account here is I don't think the Forty ers are taking a field goal that is over twenty yards away because it's kicking it. Not in the whole game. No. So so the only way that's going over is if the Ravens take that field goal, right? And even then, the Ravens could take one that is under. So I think if you if you're going for that, you, I'd go under 33.5 all day. So last year, what called people out? So the first score was a safety yeah. last year. No one saw that coming. Maybe something crazy like that happens. Last year, the Patriots were favourite by nine, eight, eight, nine, I think probably. I and so. obviously that didn't work out. We've got the Niners favourite by four. What do you think of that line? I think they've got that line spot on. Like, I've, I've been looking at it since they it should. came out. Well, yeah, but I'll tell you what, I, t- I was all over the Ravens plus 9.5. Oh, that was easy money. In-game, in I got Ravens plus 11.5 in that game. In-game? 11.5. After the Rave, after the Patriots went 7-3 up, 11.5. Whoa. It was, it was, I was watching the, li- I was watching the mate and we watched the line for the whole game and there were real fluctuations on that and because the Patriots were such heavy favourites, just keep, like, the line on the Ravens was too high all day. It was great. But that 3.5 line, like, I would avoid. I'd, if I'm going to bet on it, I'm going to bet the money line. Because I think if the 49ers win, I can see it being a close one. I, I can really see a Ravens win. And so I think I'd go for the value and I'd just go straight outright. The bets I'll probably make will be, it will be the over on Bernard Pierce's yards. Because mm. I think they'll underestimate that and he's been running really nicely. They're probably going to estimate that at mid-40s. Yeah, and I'd take the over. Because him more than Rice at the moment looks like busting off a, a big run. I'll take the under on Kaepernick's running yards. I think they are gonna. I think they might play it quite conservatively. Okay. And I'd take the Ravens to win outright. I think it'll be where I'm putting my action. And Vontae Leach to score a touchdown at any time as well. Because I, I love a fullback touchdown in a uh, in a Super Bowl. There you heard it. That's where Jamie's putting his money. Inye? Put my money on on David Akers to make a field goal longer than 30 yards. The reason why he hit a 63-yard one this year, and none of you seem to remember. Yeah, but have you seen him since? <laughs> it's depressing to watch. They brought in um, they brought in Billy Cundiff. Like if you're if you're trying out Billy Cundiff, you've got no, that is a vote of no confidence in David Akers. I heard they tried to bring in Darren Bent, but that might have just been a rumor. He's available for very very cheap. And he's not doing anything else this weekend. All part of the fun, gambling on the Super Bowl. You can get. We've given you a mere sliver of some of the prop bets that are available to you. Sportsbook.com is a good place to check out a bunch of them, and a bunch of the UK sites will be running them as well. Just adds to the fun, adds to the occasion. Again, do them in pre-game while you're in the build-up, and once the game starts get yourself stuck into the game. Obviously, you can still bet in-game as well if you want to, but it should not detract from what will be a fantastic occasion, very tightly fought, and if you get to win some money along the way, then then that's all good as well. Jamie, whereabouts are you watching the Super Bowl, man? I will be at the Super Bash with uh, you two fine gentlemen. I can't wait. I've been to Super Bash the last couple of years now. Always a good time, and if we don't get snowed in, it'll be even better. 
Superbash at Coco is the destination in Camden Town. It's going to be a hype spot. We will be there as well, checking it out in here myself and Jamie. Where can people follow you online, mate? How can they stay connected with you? You can follow me at Jamie Cutteridge on Twitter. You can follow our NFL stuff at UKNFL. And I can exclusively reveal, reveal that our website will be back and better than ever sometime around August. Um, and that's at anygivensundaynight.com. Stick it in your favourites now, people. It will be back next season better than ever. You heard it. Jamie, thank you ever so much for coming back on the pod. Appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for having me. Now, thanks to Jamie Cutteridge. And some of his slightly suspect prop bets. He was slightly wavering as we were going along with that. Yeah, I haven't done my homework yet on my prop bets. I think I need to. I probably should have done ahead of the pod, but, but he you know, was supposed to do early. that. But, you know, it's still early. You know, the lines could change. Yeah, take your time. Have a look into it yourself. Lots and lots of fun to be had. Fortunes to be made and lost on all sorts of fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Although, I, my bet that I didn't actually mention... During that conversation with Jamie there, two to one on Jay-Z to perform with Beyonce during the halftime show. Easy money, people. Yeah, it is. It is. How you, if your wife's performing at the Super Bowl and you know that you are never going to be able to perform at the Super Bowl, you know she's going to sneak you in somehow. Yeah, and I guess he's reached that position now, Jay-Z, isn't it? It's like he, he can't be tarred with nipple gate, wardrobe malfunction. Mm. He's part of the establishment now. Yes. But I don't think he, I don't think the establishment has accepted him enough for him to do the halftime show until ten years time. And maybe he's tied too oh, much to basketball. Oh, headlining it. Headlining, yeah. I'll agree with I that. I think, yeah. Maybe because he's tied too much to basketball as well. Potentially so, but fans of music in general, very high chance you will see a part of Jigger Man mm-hmm. taking stage and the Destiny's Child reunion. Yep. I'm sure that'll be there. And Pharrell produced the track, so maybe a little bit of him as well. Mm-hmm. That's the excitement. Can't wait. That's the end of part two of the pods for this week. No more pods till the Super Bowl. Sunday. Cannot, cannot miss it. We've given you the options. Arlo's watching it on his couch. You can go to the Super Bash. I'd advise doing that. You can go to NFL in London party. You can go to the number one sports bar in Moorgate. You can go to the social. Mm-hmm. All tickets go to charity there. You can go to the sports cafe. You can go to the London Blitz party at the Roadhouse. Lots of options. Bodines, etc. But just make sure you are part of it. Because you've got to wait another year if you're not. We have been North London 40 and we will see you for the wake. The post-Super Bowl podcast next week not looking forward to that it's going to be sad it's going to be sad it's quite fitting that it's in New Orleans because we can have one of those big send-offs like they do over there yeah absolutely thanks for checking out North London 40 we will speak to you next week take care